Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society. My name is Gumby. I'm Teresa. And the name of this episode is All Love is Good Love. Um, we have had a hell of a time trying to get this this episode recorded. This is take, I don't even, I've lost count. Um, and we're out of time, basically, because we try to release our episodes on Sunday. And this is Saturday, the day before. So we just kind of got to, we're, we're going to go with what we, we got. We're taking our notes and getting rid of them. We're just talking from what we, uh, our opinions, our memories, um, because we do feel like this is a very important topic to share. Um, it's just some topics, man, it's really hard to figure out how to share them. So we're in this park. It's a Saturday. It's getting kind of busy. We're right next to a busy road. So just bear with us. Um, we'll try to lean in every time we talk and really enunciate, but, uh, this is part one, and um, we want to introduce you to a person who is credited with being the father of the sexual revolution, our current views on sex. And it's really interesting because we're going to kind of showcase two people in this episode. Um, Alfred Kinsey is considered the father of our ideas of sex, and John Money, during part two after the break, who is considered the father of our views on gender. So here we have sex and gender, you know, kind of the two big topics that are uh, shaping our views, our world so much today. So, uh, Teresa, I saw you begin to lean in. Did you have something you wanted to say? Um, since we're not using our notes, we're going to really try and not misrepresent numbers or dates. But uh, if we do use such things, um, hopefully, listeners, you will, like, verify that if you're going to repeat it. Because we're, we're flying free, fast and loose. <laughs> and remember, our goal is to be very conversational, as we've said, yeah. as if we're sitting around a fire with you just talking. So uh, keep that in mind. And um, we always encourage you to do your own follow-up research to form your opinions. Um, this is based on our own research. And I've actually shared some links to some of our favorite videos that we thought were the most informative on my Facebook page. So if you want to see those videos where we're getting our ideas from, um, you don't even have to friend me. I don't have any privacy settings or anything, so you can just check out my uh, Facebook page, Gumby Montgomery, and uh, watch his videos. But in lieu of introducing you to Alfred Kinsey, uh, Teresa, would you like to start in any way you'd like? Like, you're talking to somebody, we're assuming, uh, you know, for the sake of getting this ball rolling, someone who's never heard of Alfred Kinsey. What would you tell him? <clears throat> he was gross. And... Uh... Just seriously, he uh, he really had a lot on his mind as when it came to sex. Um, he liked to have sex with all sorts of different types of people, and uh, he thought it was okay, basically, to have sex with anyone or anything. In fact, I, I think I saw a quote from him last night that said something like, the only sex that should be considered um, strange 
I'm paraphrasing here, is the sex that 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 people are saying can't be done. So, yeah, that's that's who Alfred Kinsey is. He's like all sex is good sex. Yeah, so Alfred Kinsey, he is uh, you know credited with the uh, sexual revolution. A lot of our ideas about sex. A couple of things you should know about Alfred Kinsey, if you could. Uh, Sorry, we're getting the dog, trying to get the, the dog quiet. And here we are talking about sex in a park with people walking around. Yeah. So, Alfred Kinsey, he um, was a doctor who started off studying gall wasps, of all things. And uh, he's not the only person to get into sexology that began studying insects, which is kind of a strange thing. He grew up, um, he was born in the late 1800s, and he grew up in a really uh, strict um, Christian family, and he found these values very oppressive. And uh, to my, in my opinion, I think there's a pretty good argument that there were a lot of oppressive sexual values back then. Um, women, for instance, were having such a hard time exploring their own bodies, orgasm, that they had a condition that was called hysteria. When you hear the word hysteria, this is where the word was first used, that it originated. Women would actually exhibit, um, and some women, you know, generalization, um, almost schizophrenic behavior, uh, hearing voices, hallucinating, um, rapid mood swings that was somewhat appeased by their doctors at the time. They would actually go to the doctor and the doctor would stimulate them manually to uh, have this orgasm. Um, and uh, let's see the thread of my thought here. Feel free to jump in anytime, Teresa. But... Um, so, actually, the first, this was such a serious problem at the time that one of the first battery-powered devices when this technology was available <laughs> that people brought home was a vibrator. Doctors found this chore really distastefully. You know, in our pornographic culture now, we think, oh, that's hot. That sounds like a cool porno. It wasn't back then. Yeah. It's really strange that uh, there were women that were going to doctors for these symptoms and someone decided that, like, oh, hell, we've tried everything else. We'll give this a try. This is very strange to me. I don't know. What's strange about it? Well, I mean, uh, I guess because of the repressive culture, women didn't want to do this themselves. They most certainly could have, but they would have been considered a bad girl, I guess. But it's just interesting that someone somewhere along the line was like, I know how to fix this. Yeah, and a lot of these ideas were first <laughs> explored and promoted by Freud. And one question I have, considering the strangeness of it, is there are cultures that women have clitoridectomy. How do you say that? Yeah, clitoridectomy. Clitoridectomies. Um, presumably, which makes it much harder for them to have an orgasm, if not impossible. I wonder if you look into these cultures, if you find this uh, condition that we have called hysteria present. Um, hmm. You know, it's just a question that kind of hangs in the air. Like, wouldn't we, if that's the cause? Um, my guess would, my guess would be probably no. And the reason why is probably because those other cultures, the women are busy doing other things instead of like fretting around their house about, you know, whatever. I don't know, but it'd be interesting to look up. Yeah. 
Teresa and I actually have had conversations where, and I've said so in the podcast, that I uh, consider her like to have a very low, like abnormally low sex drive and myself to have an abnormally high sex drive. It has occurred to me at times that what if Teresa actually represents the healthy state of a human being that's not being inundated by uh, sexual suggestions and uh, uh, cultural pushes you know, like, what if that is actually how all human beings live in a healthy state where they enjoy sex? Sex is a part of their life, but it's not overblown like most yeah. of the rest of us. Yeah. That we've considered an abnormal, exaggerated state the norm and that people that have a lower threshold for what they want and what they do are considered the abnormal ones. And it's just interesting that as we talk about Alfred Kinsey being the like the father or the kickoff for the sexual revolution and and women's liberation and freedom of all these of all things sexual i'm wondering if it was really all that good for women in the end because it just Some seems women like it in the end ha 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 it just seems like there's a lot more stds to worry about women are um, often complain about, you know, men who don't want to stay with them. They just want to like, you know, get together for a one night stand. Not all women, you know, again, we, we've got individuals. Uh, some women really like doing just the one night stand thing, but it really impacted our culture and we're fed this line about sexual liberation and freedom. And maybe some of it's true. There's a kernel of truth there, but I just wonder are we happier? Do we have more fulfilling lives because of this man and what he's, uh, how he's impacted our culture? Yeah, and more about this man. He uh, was said to have grown up with a chip on his shoulder against Judeo-Christian values. Um, he really had a uh, disdain for these values. And it reminds me of this thing uh, called the Chesterton fence that it says, don't tear down a fence until you know what it's built for. I think this is kind of a baby with the bathwater kind of situation. I will give Kinsey credit that I think he was noticing what I would agree was an oppressive culture that oppressed sex too much. I think he tried to get rid of everything in such a big sweeping gesture that uh, he pushed us into, an, in my opinion, again, a different kind of perhaps even darker territory. Sexual energy was widely recognized as a dangerous thing in so many religions and so many contemplative religions. The Buddha brings that up in his five precepts of all the things that he says to look out for, condensed into five things. Sex is one, one-fifth of the dangerous things that you better get a handle on. Matter of fact, the Buddha just said avoid it altogether. Buddhists following the Buddha decided they didn't want to get rid of sex altogether, so they turned it into just be mindful of how you approach it. Yeah. That was not the Buddha's stance. He said, this is dangerous. This ties you to illusions, to bad things. He didn't let his followers have sex. So I'm not advocating celibacy. Obviously, I still love sex. But I am recognizing the danger of this, and I think this is where Kinsey went wrong. Hmm. Like he went wrong. That's an interesting way to put it. Why is that? What What do you find interesting about that? <laughs> I find, well, I kind of find the whole thing wrong. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like the more I think about it, the more it's like, I, I don't really have a problem with people, you know, being sexual. They have high sex drives or whatever, but it just seems like we've become really concentrated and, and over overly sexed to the point where it's 
I mean, it just consumes people's lives. I would agree with you, but when you said you find the whole thing wrong, do you also find uh, Kinsey's um, desire to lift some of the uh, cultural, what you might call, inhibitions on people, particularly women, I'd say, um, is that also just completely wrong? I think it would have happened naturally, more organically, without him. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would not argue that. I'm not sure, but it's very possible. Um, Kinsey, some things I would want people to know about Kinsey, why we uh, say he's gross and, you know, we're kind of painting him in a very villainous way. I'm trying to be fair to him. You know, I'm trying to be the devil's advocate for myself. And I think the guy is one of the most evil people I've ever studied. So I want you to understand when I'm trying to sympathize a little bit with him, it's taking effort. A couple things about Kinsey is uh, he got most of his research um, from pedophiles, from one pedophile in particular, he called Mr. Green, correct? Yeah. And can you, uh, I'll fill in anything I can think of that you might forget, but can you kind of introduce us to Mr. Green, Teresa? Mr. Green was a pedophile who was actually a forester by trade, and he would, it's interesting because forests, I mean, there are forests in the United States in the Southwest, but he would travel around New Mexico and Arizona specifically, and um, I guess history, um, there are records that he had sexual relations with thousands of children. Yeah, over 2,000, and that's the known cases. And he wrote in his diary about these experiences, and he knew that it was probably not a good thing to keep these diaries around. So he actually buried them in the desert until... Alfred Kinsey came along and had, I guess, I don't know, maybe Mr. Green had contacted him or somehow Kinsey had found out about this renowned pedophile um, who had actually kept a stopwatch to time uh, the orgasms and the frequency of orgasms in children as young as, I believe, two months. Now... When I hear you say that, I'm trying to hear you with fresh ears and pretend like I don't know anything about it. It sounds like you're saying Mr. Green did that already on his own. Yeah. Is that your impression, that that, that Kinsey got the idea of timing this from Mr. Green? Well, Mr. Green was, uh, he kind of had like a scientific mind, and I, I think Kinsey really admired the fact that this man had taken such detailed notes. Now, I don't know 100% for sure if... Mr. Green already had a stopwatch, but Kinsey definitely in his other dealings with some other pedophiles recommended that as they kept notes and logs of raping their children and other people's children that um, that they should uh, use a stopwatch because, of course, we need to know all of this. Why do we need to know how... Why? First of all, what? <laughs> why do we need to know... Uh, about pedophiles raping babies and the number of orgasms and and the frequency and how long it took them to orgasm. And listeners, here's an opportunity to see which one of us is right with your own research. I have the impression completely that Mr. Green, and this was a pseudonym, by the way, a fake name, um, was a, a pedophile and that the stopwatch, the kind of scientific approach, were um, actually introduced by um, Kinsey. One thing is for certain that Teresa and I do agree on is after this, for other pedophiles, Kinsey did continue to say, use a stopwatch. He even made a chart that he sent out. And um, 
We don't have the exact wording. Like I said, we were getting so bogged down in details and stuff that our episode was just sucking. But it really doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really, in the bigger picture, make that much of a difference. We're just like, why? Why? Why include this information in a published book about sexuality in the human male? Well, I'd say it does make a little bit of difference, but again, so that's the discernment of the listener. I think it's it makes a slight uh, dis- difference if uh, Kinsey is learning how to be scientific about sexology from a, a forester who just is a rapist and a pedophile, um, or whether he already promoted these views himself and applied it to Mr. Green. But wherever these ideas came from, originated, he continued them, that's for sure. And um, another really famous pedophile that... Uh, <laughs> he got information from was a Nazi, a Nazi soldier who, um, especially around Poland, would travel around, and again, thousands of children, he would rape these children and, and give them the choice, either, you know, submit to what I say, my sexual desires, whatever I tell you to do, or be sent to a gas chamber. And more often than not, the kids were sent to a gas chamber anyway. Um, it is suspected, and I'm not sure this is confirmed, that he actually himself murdered some children. He was put on trial in Germany, and the judge was so disgusted when he heard the acts that this man had performed that he said, this in front of me is not human, is no longer human. This is a monster, basically, he was saying. And this is what we base our sexual revolution on. Yeah. And you might ask, well, you know, so are you saying that our current views of sex and gender are wrong because of the people that uh, started them? In a way, yes, I am saying that. We need to look closely. The example I gave debating someone on social media was if you give me relationship advice, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like pretty good advice. And then I find out later that every serious relationship you've been in, you were horribly abusive to that person. I am going to look at that advice you gave me differently because it's coming from someone who not only... um, is not in a position to give advice, but actually is doing the worst things themselves. Isn't it like when we uh, are respecting a teacher and then we find out some scandal that this teacher really, um, a whole habitual uh, pattern of abuse, we lose faith in the teacher and rightly so. We should follow the people who walk their talk. Mm -hmm. So that's why I find this very important that this guy (laughs) kicks this off. And in addition to these two pedophiles, and by the way, the Kinsey Institute tries to defend this man by saying he only consulted one pedophile. That was Mr. Green. That was the big one. They kind of skirt around that, but but promote it in such a way like that was the only pedophile. He was already doing this. So wouldn't a scientist want to gather any information, no matter where it's coming from? So he wasn't promoting it. That's their stance. Um But it comes out, you know, there's this Nazi officer, so there's another pedophile, and that he was making questionnaires he would send out to people that would ask questions about, like, okay, here's how you time your child's orgasm. That was promoting not just pedophiles, but incest fathers to do this to their children. He was sending these questionnaires to daycares, people that could abuse children and get away with it. Of all the thousands of children who were being timed, their orgasms, in these studies, um, not one child has come forward to say, to defend Kinsey, to say, yes, Kinsey was absolutely right. I did enjoy this. This was good for me, which was, by the way, something else Kinsey said, that it was mutually beneficial for a kid to be involved in sexual abuse. 
Nobody, not one person of the thousands of kids sexually abused in the, these studies have come forward and said, yeah, I want to defend this man. He's right. The only person we could find that came forward that realized that she was involved in this because she saw a, a TV news show and talked about the stopwatch. And she's like, oh, my God, my father sexually molested me. He had a stopwatch. That's what this was about, was Esther White. Which is also a pseudonym. Also a fake name. And it was heartbreaking to hear her share. It was not something she wanted. She talked about going to a recital and um, just feeling the dread during this recital because on the way home she knew her father would rape her. That was when he tended to do it. And the tears running out of her eyes that she was crying so hard that she looked up at the stars and tried to be someplace else. Now an older woman sharing the story, you know, because she was is disturbed that Kinsey, he's got a statue they just put up in front of a university in Indiana. He's promoted as a hero. And all the children involved in these studies, including John Money, who we'll talk about in a little bit, are wanting to stop this. Like, these are monsters. I was the person in this study. That's what these children, or Esther White is saying. The only child who has spoken up. The other ones just want to pretend like it didn't happen, apparently. They don't want to be involved in anything. Definitely not defending Kinsey. Well, they might not have even known they were so young what was going on, but they might have grown up and had really deep problems that who knows if they ever found out why. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say all thousand children knew about it. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying out of all the thousands of children, chances are Esther White isn't the only one that figured out that this stopwatch and this questionnaire had something to do with Kinsey. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Chances are at least one other kid out there yeah. of all the thousands have some memory of a stopwatch and a questionnaire and like, huh, that's strange that sexual abuse involved these two things and related it to Kinsey. But they don't speak out. They don't come forward and defend him. And as, uh, what's her name, this woman that really made it her mission to um, expose Kinsey for what he was, what's her name? Judith Reisman. Judith Reisman. As she so um, aptly pointed out in a video we watched, don't you think if their premise is that this is good for children, having sexual relationships with adults, that they would be promoting it all over the place if they had cases of healthy <laughs> children growing into healthy, happy adults that were pleased with it? Don't you think we'd be hearing that everywhere? And isn't it telling in itself the absence of this part of the study? Doesn't a scientist follow his study and to see what happens next? Aren't we studying cause and effect? Right. Yeah, so um, a couple things. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University um, has files which um, most people think contain the records from these people who raped children and, and sent it in. Um, they're under lock and key. The Kinsey Institute has said that um, when, they were, when they were requesting this information from baby rapers that, uh, it was under the, um, uh, I guess the agreement that people would be completely protected so they wouldn't get in trouble. So they will burn or otherwise, uh, destroy the files before they ever give them over. Now, Kinsey based his theories and all of what came thereafter on the concept that we as humans are sexual from birth. That's why it was so important to include this information about 
babies having quote-unquote orgasms. And this idea did not originate with Kinsey. Freud was one of the first people to promote the idea that babies are sexual from birth. And by the way, when a baby has an orgasm, according to Kinsey, it can look differently than when adults have orgasms, like, for example, crying and screaming, body rigidity, convulsions, fighting off their partner, which would be, of course, the adult that's raping them. And these definitions um, were actually from Mr. Green, the the renowned pedophile, um, from his diaries. And Kinsey actually lifted the information about the six types of orgasms that children and babies have from Mr. Green's diaries and included it in Sexual Behavior of the Human Male. Which was published in, I believe, 1947, definitely the late 40s, and this was the beginning of these ideas being put out there. Um, I know I'm kind of jumping in. Is Did you finish that thought before I share? No, I'll just say his, his first book... Uh, was likened to the atom bomb, which, you know, had just happened a couple years earlier. And then he, a couple years later, put out Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. I believe that was 1953. Really, um, I mean, thinking about the 40s and 50s, I think we really have a skewed uh, view of what our country and our culture was like. Because I always thought the 50s was still kind of like very pure and innocent and uh no makes you look at leave it to beaver in a whole new light doesn't it (laughs) yeah go ahead well two things i want to say about this book sexual behavior and the human male um two of the most horrifying things are his description of orgasm this wasn't just something he was reporting from mr green as and here's what a pedophile said kinsey was actually promoting this idea as this in indeed is how you tell when a children has an orgasm when a child when a, when a child has an orgasm. Um, since they don't secrete, they don't. you can't see the orgasm in the same way you would in an adult, these are the things to look out for. And once again, to repeat Teresa's, to underline what she just shared, because it is so horrifying, it's easy to just let it go through your head in one ear, out the, out the other. Crying, screaming, intense pain, fighting off your attacker. These are signs of an orgasm. These are, according to Kinsey, healthy for the child. Um, in, yeah. And go ahead. I was just going to say the, um, the the response that Kinsey would probably have is, well, there would be more harm done to the child from the shame that our culture would put on them for these acts as opposed to the what we as sane people would call a, like a sexual attack on a child. Yeah. Yeah, so Kinsey's saying the whole harm is not the sex with the child. The child could have a really good time and enjoy that, and it could just be a good thing. It's the culture that paints a bad picture, and so the child suffers from shame because of the values the culture imposes on them. This is how completely he was trying to debunk the traditions and values of the culture that he lived in. Um, You know, the baby with the bathwater, the whole damn thing. So my argument to that 
is let's assume for a minute that the child is not traumatized by pain, by unsuccessfully fighting off their parents' sexual advances, or by fainting, by convulsing, by screaming. Let's assume all this is not traumatic for the child. It's just that what happens afterwards, the culture makes them feel bad about it. Even so, if it is the culture that they do indeed live in, and that is the only thing that is making them feel bad, these children are still traumatized. Kinsey was still aware that these experiments would traumatize these children, and he did not care. This is the evil of science. Science, just the inhuman science marching on to gather information. And Kinsey was definitely a pervert. He acted like a scientist, was treated like a scientist, but he'd travel around the country and he would fucking lie. I see so many things that are still alive in the leftist ideology now that definitely you can see in Kinsey's approach to this subject. Um, All Love is Good Love, the title of this episode. No holds barred. Anything is good. Even, you know, Mr. Green would talk about wanting to have sex with animals, bestiality. Fine. All love is good love. Kids, a huge part of it. Probably the biggest part of his studies was with kids. And going back to his book, there is an infamous chart called Table 34 that has a whole chart of kids of different ages and how many orgasms they might have in a given period of time. Horrifyingly, there's a two-month-old on this chart, and it says how many orgasms the two-month-old had. Sometimes they were stimulated by a hand or a feather. Sometimes they were actually raped had intercourse with adults. There is also a four-year-old on this chart who it is said had 26 orgasms in 24 hours. As someone brought up, how many four-year-olds do you know that would lie still for 24 hours to have 26 orgasms? Are we not possibly considering a child who is tethered? This is horrifying shit that he's just passing along like it's valuable knowledge. And again, why do we need to know this? Is Did it really, was it so important to abuse these children to find this out? You know, I, I talked about this Nazi he's dealing with. The Nazis had the same philosophy. They would experiment on Jews for the greater good of humanity, to understand the human body and do horrific things. Um, the... Uh, Vivisectionists, same thing, cutting open dogs to study the circulatory system, and as the dogs are screeching in pain, cut their vocal cords so they wouldn't be distracting. These are the scientists I'm talking about. And this time when Kinsey's getting away with this crap um, was a time when the scientist was a rock star. We were really promoting the scientists. And by the way, there was another guy noticing Freud's ideas and running with it. At the same time, Bernays, he was using those ideas and how to manipulate the way we think to sell us things, to get us to vote correctly, to get us to follow the politics that the powers that be decided we should follow. So these two things are linked. And another big problem with Kinsey is his science was deceitful. And this is something else I see still alive and well and widely promoted, especially on the left nowadays, is the ends justifies the means. He was so sure that he was leading us into a sexual revolution that would be good for everyone, that he was willing to lie. He was willing to do very bad science. It wasn't a scientific path. He just knew that was the way to sell this, is to package it scientifically. So he would travel from state to state where people were put on trials when they had strict laws against sexual predators, and he would tell people, I'm a sexologist. I study this. I'm a scientist. Trust the science. And I'm telling you, 
people that do this don't repeat it. Sex offenders do not tend to do it twice. So they would listen to him. They respected the scientist. The scientist is being put in front of everybody like, oh, this is the guy we should be listening to, telling you, listen to the scientist. And so a lot of sexual protections for people, those laws got relaxed. It started opening the gate for an erosion of these protections for people. And as we all know, and Kinsey damn well knew, he was lying. People that tend to molest children tend to do it over and over. Kinsey said that Mr. Green had stopped when he got the records. Other information came out that at least for 10 years after he started um, talking and conversing with Mr. Green, he was still raping children. Now, with the legitimacy, because let's say you've got this impulse, you've got this impulse to molest children, even your own children. Now it has the legitimacy of science. Now you've got a chart. You've got a stopwatch. You're not just abusing your child. You are actually helping science. And the only thing that makes it bad is our culture is so backwards that they don't recognize that this is actually a good, important thing. That's what Kinsey did. I see you leaning in, Teresa. Even if you really are not seeing why it's important, why do we even care that, you know, there were babies that were being raped for science? What about the adults that were uh, surveyed, interviewed? We didn't watch the uh, Kinsey movie, like the one with Liam Neeson and Laura Linney. I just couldn't stomach it because in the preview, it looked like they were just kind of making light of his life and uh, probably turning him into like a, a dark hero, you know, like, well, yeah, he had demons, but don't we all? So he interviewed thousands and thousands of men and women. But what was not put forth, they were called Americans, right? They were from America. They were Americans. And when you say Americans, uh, especially back in the 40s and 50s, you would think like good, wholesome, butter-based people. Mm. But a lot of his subjects were people that were in prison for committing sexual crimes they were prostitutes and they were perverts like pedophiles so this representation was inaccurate to describe the average American male or female and someone else, Abraham Maslow pointed out that uh, Kinsey had a selection bias anyway because people who weren't interested in talking about their sex life wouldn't come forth. It would only be people that were interested in speaking about their sex life, which, if you think about it, would probably be the people that were a little more into maybe different sexual things than the the normal, I don't know if I should say normal, but the average American. Yeah, and I want to emphasize that he was intentionally skewing the numbers to um, say that this is the normal amount of homosexuality, of whatever... Uh, sexual drives that are in the normal population and not reporting that he was interviewing prisoners, known pedophiles, and prostitutes to intentionally skew these numbers. Kinsey was a fucking crooked scientist across the board. Um, Another thing, you know, I was saying, like, I see a lot of leftist tactics that I see now with Kinsey. All love is good love. Just complete no-holds-barred any kind of sex. All love is good love. 
I see the ends justify the means. Lie all you want. Dance around. Don't have an honest conversation because you're so sure you're right that if we can just get your ideas promoted, everything will be better. So, and it, a complete ignoring of if you turn into a monster along the way, even if you think you're pointed at a good direction, by the time you get there, how the hell is it going to be good when we have a world ruled by deceitful monsters? It, it, it is not the way the world works. Um, follow the science. <laughs> A scientist abusing his power. Such a respect for a sexologist that we'll just ignore all this crap. If it was any other pervert, we would have treated him like a pervert. A person with, like, sick impulses, an abuser. But since he's a scientist, well, well, that's a whole different thing. Look at the stopwatch. Look at the chart. They're conducting science. Sometimes science looks a little dirty, but, you know, it's for the greater good of humanity. Hasn't it always served humanity? These were the scientists at the same time that are creating gases and chemicals to kill people that later got channeled into agriculture because they made so damn much of it that the war ended before they could use up all this stuff. So they, had, they wanted to make a profit. These are the scientists who used the building blocks of reality itself to create a bomb that we're still threatened with on the news that can blow up cities, potentially the whole fucking planet if enough people use these bombs. And another thing that I see Kinsey used was the redefinition of words. Anytime you argue with a leftist, you're going to see them dance around between what race and racism means, sex and gender, social construct and biological reality. It's a whirlwind. It's meant to confuse you and then finally exhaust you. They can't win a, a logical debate. They can't use reason, so they use dirty tactics. Kinsey did the same damn thing. Let me remind you once again how he redefined orgasm. He made rape sound like orgasm. Orgasm has a good connotation. Rape has a bad connotation. And by the way, what the fuck do you think this did to rape culture? If that's true of a child and you believe the scientist, what about that woman who's crying and fighting you off? Maybe she just doesn't know what's good for her. Maybe if you just, like, gave it to her, she would, down the road, realize a really good thing happened. <laughs> this is so sick. And another thing Kinsey gave us was pornography. In the attic of where he studied, he would make films. Considering the, the topics of his study, we can only imagine what these films consisted of. So he would watch these films all day. You know, that was one of his primary methods of research is to watch these films. People would come. People, uh, he'd have different doctors studying these films. And so we, he would have doctors sit and study, and there was some one guy that Teresa's busy right now. She'll come back in a minute. She'll know the name of this guy. But he was one of the cameramen. When he first began working with Kinsey, Kinsey warned him, if you start watching these videos, you're not going to feel anything after a while. At first, it's kind of arousing, maybe interesting as a scientist, but after you watch enough pornography... You will not feel anything. And Teresa, what was the name of that cameraman that he gave that warning to about he's not going to feel anything? Clarence Tripp. Oh, there's a really strange Phil Donahue episode. Remember Donahue? And Clarence Tripp is on that episode as well as Judith Reisman. And there's a couple other people on the panel that are discussing Kinsey. And Phil Donahue is weirdly like kind of making jokes about... Uh, People def like attacking Alfred Kinsey because, of course, you know, um, we have to uphold this saintly man. Yeah. 
And so Kinsey himself, you know, he's uh, through um, reports like that of what he told the cameraman, we can imagine that he is starting to more and more not feel anything. He had a wife. I think he even had kids, right? Yeah. He would encourage his wife to sleep with other men. He would encourage the people that worked with him to sleep with each other, um, both heterosexual and homosexual sex. Um, and he started leaning more and more towards homosexuality. Apparently that wasn't even satisfying enough for Kinsey because he started seeming to introduce things that were very painful into his life. It's even reported that Kinsey um, once sat in a bathtub, and this is a, I believe, a confirmed, it's not just hearsay, I'm spreading here, I believe this is a widely uh, accepted fact about the circumcision, right? Uh, I think there were, were notes from his, like after he died that he, no, hang on with me, hold on here. He died from like a heart attack or something, but on his body, the autop, the um, coroner or whatever, noticed there were like scars and lesions in his, like, in his genital region of things that they weren't normal things. So I guess you, you could take that as proof. I mean, to me, that's suggestive of the continued abuse he might have done upon himself, but it is also an accepted uh, specific occurrence that he sat in a bathtub and circumcised himself with a pocket knife. This is not the act of a healthy, normal human being. That is not a scientific thing to do. There's a less confirmed story that he once tied a strap around his scrotum, stood on a chair, and jumped off. He was doing really sick things to make himself feel things, yeah. pain, to seek through pain, a feeling that he couldn't get anymore. One of the things I believe Kinsey did with his uh, experiments in pornography and his approach to sex is he took something that was a biological function, already had a really powerful energy around it. As I said, has been warned, you know, it's been something like, you be careful with this. That's why there's so many, possibly too many, cultural restrictions on it in the environment Kinsey grew up in. They recognize this can be dangerous. This is powerful. Kinsey took this normal biological function and turned it into a drug. When you get so much of something, it begins to become something else. Kinsey died inside, as far as I'm concerned. That's how I interpret the story. Something in him was dying. He wasn't feeling anymore. He was so desperate to feel human that he was seeking pain. Um, the pornography industry. Hugh Hefner was actually someone who knew Kinsey personally, and he was hugely inspired by his book. Um, we mentioned sexual behavior and the human male in 19, possibly 47, late 40s, and I think 1953, early 50s definitely, he came out with a follow-up book, Sexual Behavior and the Human Female. These books inspired many people, including Hugh Hefner. The porn industry began from Kinsey's ideas. And when you start looking, when it's pointed out to you, I didn't see it because when I was a kid, we'd sneak porno mags, you know? We'd look at naked pictures of women and everything. I'd read the cartoons, you know? I was, of course, excited to see nudity, sex. Um, but the pedophilia has always been there. I'll admit, there's a porno site I go to now, and just like Kinsey said, I've seen so much porn at this point that it's I rarely go there anymore. It's boring. It's become dead to me. It's not exciting. Um, and it's called perfect girls, not perfect women. You don't have to look far in any porno magazine to see 
barely legal, almost 18, to see women dressed like little girls. Now, and to clarify, that's not a website that is for child porn, but that is the name of it, and they're including uh, porn videos where the women are at least made to look young. Yeah, and Judith Reisman has a folder of cartoons um, from porno magazines, thousands of them, that depict violence and rape on children. Some of those pictures she showed in the videos we watched, I saw them. I saw them when I was a kid. I recognized them. Like, oh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of, you know, how I felt about it as a kid was kind of funny because it was so shocking and kind of hot because I myself was looking at little girls because I was a little boy. And so the idea of them having sex was kind of exciting for me. I hadn't seen it through the lens of an adult. When you get raised on this shit, what do you think yeah. that does to your mind? No wonder I'm over-sexualized. No wonder my dad was over-sexualized and became bisexual. He just wanted to have sex with anything he could. He destroyed his family. I was like the third effort at him having a family and children because of these impulses and other impulses. He was out of control. Kinsey's ideas have had a devastating effect on our culture. It's interesting that you bring that up because um, Kinsey was trying to promote the idea that if we could just remove the shame surrounding various sexual acts and sexual orientations, then maybe families and lives wouldn't be destroyed because we would just recognize that they're animalistic drives. But again, like many things, we weren't ready as a culture for this, I believe. And it really didn't have that effect. And again, this is a generalization because I know there's people that have open relationships and maybe it is working for them. But as Gumby just said, like it wrecks people's lives. And Kinsey himself, I began, I suspect, more and more realized he was lying because of the deadening inside. If Kinsey was right, you know, and his theories, what he was promoting was just great, then he would have been getting happier and happier as he became more liberated. Instead, he was having to reach further, just like a drug. I used to smoke crack, and they have a term, chasing a ghost. You smoke crack, and you get that first high, and it is so good. It's one of the best feelings you felt in your life. Then you follow that up, and it's not as good. You end up spending more money doing harder drugs, chasing that ghost. You can't get it back until it kills you. I feel like his approach to sex was almost exactly the same way. Again, going back to Buddha, Prada, the hungry ghost. It was the hungry ghost chasing the ghost. He couldn't get satisfied. More and more desire, less and less satisfaction. And that drove him to greater degrees of perversity. That is happening to all of us. That's why these these videos, these porn sites, push us more and more towards, um, like, rape videos, um, pedophilia videos. Teresa has a friend that's actually in prison right now for what he says is he watched some girls dance on a video. I suspect it was more than that. But basically, um, for not pedophilia, he didn't actually do anything, but watched child porn, basically. And, and for that, he got seven years in a federal penitentiary. Seven years. Now, I think we're targeting the wrong people. Our whole culture is pushing us because of Kinsey's ideas, the sexual revolution, into this 
promiscuous relationship with sex, when it gets boring, isn't it natural to kind of like push the edge to get a little bit curious? Like, I wonder if this other thing, I wonder if this like taboo, you know, one of the things I still, and I'm going to fully diverge here, that I still find kind of hot on websites, starting to get into incest a little bit. There's a whole bunch of things that are about stepsister with stepbrother. There's always the step in there, so just so you don't find it too gross. But it's a different kind of pushing a little more towards perversity, pushing that sexual envelope. I've come across a couple videos when I was, uh, you know, looking through these porno videos that I think were actually children. I don't think that they were 18. They looked extremely young. Often they're in another country like Thailand, places that you could maybe more get away with it. And I'll tell you one thing I've noticed because, you know, I watched the video. I was getting bored with porn. I was wondering, is there something? Everything that, you know, this culture is teaching me tight, hot, fresh, young, you know, these words. I think we can't almost can't help but have a curiosity whether we follow it or not of like, is there something arousing and hot there? When I saw these people that seemed actually not just women pretending to be children, but children, it was disgusting. They had this dead look. They just laid there. Um, They looked just, there was no pleasure involved in it. Even the guy didn't seem to, it was like a drug addict just getting his fix. There was no pleasure there. And that's one of the things that like helped wake me up is like, no, I'm being led in a really bad direction. I have a problem with sex. And I need to take responsibility for that. I've made some really bad decisions because of my lust. You know, it's a common thing in our culture. We don't have the traditions that help us channel this stuff and help us warn us against like, all right, you may feel this, but be careful. It's a bad idea. Instead, no holds barred. All love is good love. Um, and... Teresa, I guess there's a couple things I want to make sure we hit on before we close this up. We just wanted to make sure we at least gave you a half hour, an introduction into Kinsey. Um, but before I get into those two things, which, to help me remember, are going to be his uh, influence on sex ed. And I already forgot the other one. Hopefully it'll come back <laughs> to me. But is there anything that you want to say about what we've already said before I try to start wrapping this up? I mean, not specifically. I think we covered a lot um I guess just really reflect on where we are now and think about, like, is it a good place that we've ended up? Does it feel like people are happier? Does it feel like children are happier, safer? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I guess uh, one more thing I I thought of is uh, what's the name of the man that was influenced by Kinsey's work that was uh, instrumental in the gay liberation in particular? Do you remember his name? I think you're talking about Harry Hay. Harry Hay. Now, I want to preface... (laughs) Harry Hay. Mm, That's even dirtier. (laughs) I want to preface that this is not an attack on homosexuality. One of our favorite people we listen to that have informed us about some of these things that have led us to studying this is a gay man himself, who himself is questioning. This is coming from him, a gay man, and he's saying, I grew up in a very abusive household. My mother psychologically and verbally abused us. Many, as I'm growing up, I'm going to tell you, in the the gay community, there is a high degree of promiscuity over sexed people. And when I talk to my friends and ask them about their childhoods, I find abuse so often. 
It was only in the 1970s that homosexuality was not listed as a mental illness. Now, this is not about viewing homosexuals negatively. It is definitely not about persecuting them in any way, because as I said, as I started off with, I think we've all been over-sexualized. Harry Hay, a homosexual, um, read Kinsey's work, and keep in mind, this is all like a lot of pedophilia and shit like that, really began pushing the gay movement. Consider what the gay movement is. It's always framed in a context of this is about love. Let me tell you, love has never been the thing under attack. World War I, two guys are in the, the foxhole. They're fighting. They, they both survived the war. They are brothers for life. They love each other. They will do anything for each other. That has never been a problem. Love between two women, love between two men. What we're primarily talking about is sex. And let's keep in mind that sex is already a dangerous thing. We're swapping fluids. There are diseases, there are viruses that specifically target us as animals through our sexual interaction. That's how they spread. Sex is always a dangerous thing, not to mention pregnancy. You might get pregnant, and then you have a huge responsibility. Sex, homosexual sex, I would argue, is another step in that. Now you're, it's not even about the biological need of reproduction of our race. When you stick, a man <laughs> sticks his penis, I mean, let's remember what a butt is, a rectum. It is to excrete things the body has found too toxic and harmful to hold on to. It has no use for it, so it shits it out of the butt. Let's remember what a penis is. The whole reason why a man doesn't squat when he pees and has this protuberance is to insert inside of a woman's, a woman's vagina to get closer to her ovum. Am I using the right word here? Uh, her eggs. Yeah. And fertilize them to produce a baby. We are not designed. I know people say, oh, you see it in the animal kingdom. Maybe. But the primary designation of our bodies is not to put our penis in the place that excretes toxicity, that increases the risk of disease, of bad things happening. That's why one of the reasons in the 80s, you know, the, the AIDS virus, which, Jesus Christ, there's a whole cluster of stuff around that. But it was mainly the gay community who was suffering from this. Not because the virus hated was a homophobe, not because the virus hated gay people, it's because this type of promiscuous sex life and, and engaging in acts where you're inserting a part of your body in something as dirty as a butthole adds risk. That's all. So I think that was another um, extension of these promiscuous ideas that, you know, now the gay community holds Kinsey up like a big hero, like, ooh, he freed us. But again, as Teresa asked about women, did he liberate us or did he create a situation where... We're handling forces that we're not ready for, and, and diseases, abuse, especially pedophilia. And again, pedophilia. You know, we're moving into an, an era where we have, uh, we're, we're beginning to call pedophiles minor attracted persons and treat that just like another sexual orientation. This is fucking sick. How can we do this to our children? When will we wake up and actually take the risk of our friends maybe not liking us anymore and our neighbors who say, what are you, a Trump supporter? I don't give a fuck who you think I voted for. As our listeners know, I don't vote for anybody. Jesus Christ, when are we going to start sticking up for our kids? 
for all of us. Remember what happened to us. Some of the ideas we have right now are because we grew up in a culture of pornography that goes back to Kinsey. Yeah. And, oh, man, you got anything to say to that? While I collect myself and try to organize my thoughts for a second. Well, you you said something about, like, liberating us, like the sexual liberation or sexual revolution. But really, I think that's backwards. I think we've become slaves to the concept and, and idea around sex. And look at our relationships now. How many people do you know that are single parents? Do you think that's good for a kid? I mean, I'm not saying, like... If you're a single parent, you're making do with what you got. You can still raise a kid that's a happy, healthy kid. But it's not ideal. It's so much better when you have both sexes, when they're getting the influence of a father and a mother. I do believe that. I truly do believe that. I think that is a good influence for a kid. And I think when you look at homes of like Josh Locum, again, the the gay guy we're, we're talking about, he's pointed this out. When you look at homes of shooters, of people that have done really horrible things, that are depressed, that are suicidal you will more often than not see a broken home of some kind. People are so fucking inundated with the sexual perversity that they've forgotten how to... It's destroying relationships. How many people do you know that are super liberal, that are all feminist and woke and everything, that can't seem to stay in a relationship? And are they content with that? No, they're fucking getting on Tinder. They're always posting things on social media about how lonely they are. They wish they could find the right person. Guess what? I know it's hard to find the right person, but maybe you're the wrong person as well. Maybe we've all been royally fucked up. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching this these videos and considering holy crap the late 1940s the early 50s he 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 promotes this book that's got a chart where people are raping two month olds how the hell did he not get tarred and feathered yeah how the hell did that not only was okay but became a template that was a huge influencer what is missing here something's wrong I think it's people. Yeah, <laughs> specific people. You got any uh, thoughts on why these ideas, how did they become influential instead of condemned? I mean, I mean by Kinsey's own standards, he lived in a oppressive Judeo-Christian moralistic society. So how's he going to write a book and it get accepted and promoted in a society like that? How does that happen? Science. I mean, I think that it's hard to refute something when a scientist is putting it forth. And if there's a table in the book, no no publisher's going to let somebody just create a cockamamie table that doesn't have scientific backing, right? Right? I agree with that, but there's another factor. And there is an institute um, named after a man who was one of the first major monopolies. This man grew so powerful <laughs> that when they decided that he was too powerful, he was actually dangerous to the government. He had more power than the politicians. They needed to do something about him. They broke his company in a, up into a bunch of different companies, which he immediately became the primary investor in. And so he still controlled these companies. It was just a, a show that his name was not attached to this company directly anymore. By the way... He's uh, almost directly responsible for us being a fuel-based economy. He was the one that got gas, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, got fuel out there, gasoline, into our culture. 
um, and made so much money off of it. And this is the Rockefeller Institute. The Rockefeller Institute, for some bizarre, mysterious reason, decided that they liked Kinsey's ideas. They liked this bad science that was obviously bad science. They liked a chart with child rape on it, and they started funding this. With a backer like that, that's one of the reasons why Kinsey's ideas got so widely promoted, because he was backed by this powerful uh, institution. Rockefeller had already bought, he, he bought himself a president along with a couple of the other, uh, what was it, Baron, robber barons oh, yeah. of the late 1800s, McKinley. This guy had no problem getting through his ideas that he wanted to promote, so that's a missing piece. And it's always funny to me when I, I talk to a leftist who is like, all on board with Kinsey's ideas, like sexual revolution, sexual freedom. He loves this stuff. And um, he misses the fact. And he also hates capitalists. Oh, those capitalists. If it wasn't for the capitalists, those are the bad guys. You fucking got spoon-fed these ideas by capitalists. They made little airplane noises. They stuck that little spoon in your fucking <laughs> mouth. You're vomiting out the ideas they want you to think. They don't even care that you say you hate them. Who cares if you, you don't like the big old capitalists as long as you behave yourself and you're promoting the ideas that they back? Rockefeller, he backed these ideas for some reason. I think there's a lot to be looked at, uh, a mystery there. I don't know why exactly of all the ideas this one got backed. I mean, it wasn't the only idea backed by the Rockefeller Institute, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's Inst very telling to me that this institute backed Kinsey's outrageous child-abusing ideas. Institutional depravity. Yeah, I mean, you could imagine rich people are getting away with this anyway. If they want to rape children, I mean, hell, they're rich. You're telling me they can't buy a building, find some poor person that would sell them a child? I mean, especially back then? Well, you're starting to get into QAnon stuff there, Gumby. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, if you start talking about pedophile stuff, um, QAnon, that word will pop up really quick, and I think I got an insight into what QAnon may be. It's a strange organization. When you start looking into who they are, they're apparently nobody. You can't find people associated with this. You can't even really find an organization. And there's a tactic used by the CIA and other organizations called... Um, oh, shit. What's the word? Bear? Well, there's bear food. There's another... Um, Shit, brain went blank. Come on, Teresa. You know these words. You've heard all the stuff I have. Um, uh, limited hangout? Ah, limited hangout is part of it. Um, where if something news is about to break, information is about to come out that you'd rather had not come out, you know people are about to start talking about it, you get in front of the story. You come out with the story because then you can control the narrative. Beat them to it. Pre-bunking. That was another oh, word. Oh, okay, okay. So instead of debunking, get in front of the story. Pre-bunk it. So if people are about to start talking about pedophiles, and you know the culture is not ready to widely accept pedophilia, there's enough people that have been brainwashed that it's got enough momentum now, get in front of it. Maybe form an organization. Maybe call it QAnon. There's another tactic called bear food that we've mentioned that I warned about in Rambling Man. Ramblin' Man. Bear food is when you hide information that's meant to be found so people feel like they've uncovered something, but it's actually being fed to them. 
Doesn't that sound like some of the QAnon crazy conspiracy theories? And can't you imagine if there are powerful organizations behind this, which we know there are. I just said Rockefeller Institute. That's one. We know now behind some of the things going on. I mean, I can name one right off the bat, Big Pharma, one of the most powerful entities influencing events today. Would they not have the capacity, the think tanks, to be able to figure out how to deliver these ideas to us, partly using methods like this, to say, okay, we will admit that this happened, but here's how we're going to tell the story. And um, by the way, the people that are really saying it's a bad thing and trying to scare you, let's have an organization called QAnon come out with this stuff and also couple it with crazy conspiracy theories, ludicrous things. So the same people that are saying, what about the pedophiles? What about the pedophiles are also talking about subterranean lizard people? Mm. It is a brilliant tactic to shut people up. That's what I'm starting to suspect QAnon is. So there's a little side note of my own theories. And, uh, yeah, I know we've done a lot of talking. Is there anything that you think of that you're going to that you can recall right now that you're going to be like, "Damn, why didn't I say that when we were talking about Kinsey?" Man. My mind always goes blank when you ask me to have anything come out of it. So, I guess just again to to ponder um if this is true that, you know, there is a book that contains this information that was received from pedophiles, prostitutes, prisoners, depraved people, um, sexually promiscuous people. That was meant to represent what all of us are as sexual beings. That's how he presented it. And it indeed opened up the floodgates for many, um, many sexual acts and, and preferences to be more uh, legal, more mainstream. And this is where we've ended up in 2022. And also remember that we're sexual from birth. Um, is this a good thing? It doesn't seem like it to me. And another thing I just remembered that skewed his numbers was, uh, uh, there's a word for this, but when he was questioning people about their private sex lives. Yeah, that was selection bias. Selection bias. Thank yeah. you. Who do you think... You, you mentioned this? Mm-hmm. All right. So I won't repeat it. Yeah. Uh, rewind it if you're like, oh, what was sexual bias? I missed it too. Apparently you, it's in did there. Did you say sexual bias or selection bias? Uh, I said sexual bias, but selection bias. Yeah. If you missed it too, and if you uh, go back and Teresa didn't say it, I want you to write her a stern letter. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we'll just wrap that up for our part one. Um, and obviously, you know, my voice is raised. I'm in a park. Uh, people have walked by, and I just don't give a shit because I feel like this needs to be said. <laughs> and if this is what we have to work with, it's more important to say this than to have somebody look at me weird. I get looked at weird all the time. Fuck them. Um, but this is important. We need to understand the roots of what's happening now. Because if you have pushed back on any of the things happening now, children being targeted, children being told um, that they may have been born in the wrong body, children being uh, persuaded that possibly surgery is an answer, we will get into that in part two more with um, John Money. But you should be upset. You should be invested. And you need to realize the people who these ideas came from. They were not good people. We can talk about the ideas by themselves, like possibly it could have come from a better person. The fact is it didn't. It came from a liar, 
a pedophile and a pervert. There's where the, these ideas came from. So if you, they don't make sense to you, if you just feel like it's your job to be open-minded and uh, people are telling you if you don't go along with it, you're a hateful person. Remind yourself, ground yourself. They're getting carried away with these ideas that came from a pervert. And um, I guess that's all I really have to say about that. So we'll take a break and uh, continue with part two. Hi, my name's Gumby. And I'm Teresa. We like to laugh and have fun here at Escaping Society. But right now, we'd like to take a moment to talk about something a little more serious. Do you know a dog who was born without thumbs? Sure, we all do. Every day, thousands of dogs without thumbs are forced into lives of dependency, deprived of the ability to hitchhike, to turn doorknobs, thumb wrestling, or to give high fives. They can only give high fours. In our own lives, we have one of these special needs dogs. Over the past 12 years, I have seen the frustration in my dog's eyes when he wants to approve of something, but cannot give me a thumbs up. We like to think of him not as thumbicapped, but as toe-capable. For a small donation, we, as healthcare providers for our own thumbless best friend, can continue to provide services such as door opening, feeding, and the occasional toileting assistance. For a larger donation, we may even be able to buy him new thumbs. We don't know. So please, reach deep down in your pockets and your hearts and send us a donation today. Try doing it without thumbs. In these busy times we live in, it can be difficult to know which sign is the right for you to proudly display on your lawn. Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Jesus. I could shit a better president. For sale. No trespassing. Smile, you're on no camera. No human is illegal. Trump 2024. In this house, we believe in science. Pride. All love is good love. Ah! With everything else going on, how can I juggle signaling my virtue to all my pretentious friends and neighbors without risking offending all of my other pretentious friends and neighbors or incurring the wrath of the lower classes? We hear you. We know what you really want to say, and we want to get you ready for the revolution. Now introducing the Please Don't Hurt Us yard sign, tastefully handwritten by actual housing-impaired persons in bold, permanent marker, displayed on rich, earth-tone cardboard, so your community knows you care, but are not threatened that you may care more than them. The cardboard is biodegradable, compostable, and communicates a modest lifestyle to dissuade thieves. For a small additional fee, we will add on the bottom of the sign, We are good people, so everyone will know. It's right there on the sign. All of your money will go directly towards helping the homeless, and we will write this on the back of each and every sign, ensuring your authenticated status as a virtuous person. Act now, and we'll add an additional sign, free of charge for the post-apocalypse, which reads in desperate, scrawling font in bright red letters, We have no food. You'll be the envy of all your neighbors when your house is the only one left intact by the roving bands of starving raiders. También disponible en español para asaltantes latinos hambrientos. Don't wait. Virtue signal now. Welcome back. I listened to our first episode, and Teresa did indeed mention, uh, what was it, selection bias? Yeah. So I owe you a Coke. <laughs> um, so this is part two. Now, to kind of set us up, we talked at length about Kinsey. You know, this uh, his books came out in the late 40s, early 50s. They're uh, 
backed by some powerful backers, at least one very powerful organization. They are catching on really fast. And around that same time, the 50s, a man named John Money was developing ideas of gender. Now, gender was and is a really slippery concept. It's this kind of idea that uh, it used to be coupled completely with sex. You know, the sex of a person was the biological characteristics they were born with. Men are born with penises. um, And the gender is the behavior that accompanies that. Now, the debate has been whether gender is coupled with biology or whether it's something just completely on its own, completely malleable, its own thing completely. And uh, John Money was of the opinion that it was completely on its own. So he's developing these ideas. They're all, you know, theoretical. Um, That gender was a taught behavior. So nature versus nurture, he thought nurture. Yeah, exactly. Um, These ideas just stayed mainly a theory of his until um, the late 60s. In 1965, um, a woman in Canada gave birth to twins whose names were Bruce and, what was it, Brian? Mm -hmm. Bruce and Brian. Um, They had a condition um, where the doctor strongly advised that they be circumcised. Um, Apparently there was some kind of I don't know, growth thing that was causing pain. It was like they had problems peeing. Problems peeing. As infants. So they had the technology to accomplish the circumcision that was basically like a uh, heated metal device. Um, It was kind of a cauterizing electric-powered thing. So for some reason, uh, something went wrong with Bruce, and they basically burned off his entire penis. Um, The distraught mother is, you know, wondering, what the hell am I going to do? You know, like, my son is going to have a really difficult life. Like, what is he going to do with this life? He's going to, you know, he can't do any of the things that he's going to be taught he should do and might want to do on his own. Um, You know, just struggling, looking for answers. So two years after that, her twins are two years old, and this 1967, she sees on television... None other than our boy, John Money. Um, And he's talking about uh, sex changes, um, what I'm calling sex mimicry surgery. And the therapy that goes with the uh, transitioning of mainly like intersex babies as well as uh, transsexuals. And here, you know, a little side comment of my own. Like I mentioned, the the why of why Rockefeller Institute would back Kinsey's ideas. A lot of weird things in this story, and here's another one. You know, this woman has such a specific situation, because if she just had a child whose genitals were burned off, um, that could be interesting for someone studying what money studied, but she has twins, That comes with a control group, two identical people, one that has the specific situation, the other one that has the more normal situation. So you have a control group. It's a very fortuitous event, you might say, for someone who wants to make the studies that John Money is making. And then she just happens to see John Money talking about this on television. So she contacts him, and um, John Money makes it his 
business to um, advise her, I think you should raise your son Bruce as a girl. This is completely his gender. It can be taught. So if you teach Bruce, and now we're going to change Bruce's name to Brenda, right? Yeah. Now Brenda, to be a girl, Brenda will be a girl. So Brenda, he had some surgery to um, cut off his uh, testicles and to create a kind of, um, I might say, superficial facsimile of a vulva. Um, so this was the experiment. Now, Brenda, more often, and sometimes her brother Brian would go with her, would visit with John Money, and completely, um, Brenda was raised as a girl, taught to like girl things, dressed as a girl, given a girl hairstyle, um, for every way possible, Brenda was taught to adopt the gender of a girl even though Brenda had been born Bruce, a biological male. And for the purpose of this, we're we're saying like girl haircuts and girl clothing, although anybody can get any kind of haircut and wear any kind of clothes. It's just a matter of like, are people going to maybe look at you differently? Yeah, and that's part of the madness of where we're at right now. I feel like 20 years ago I could have said that and everybody would have known exactly what the hell I'm talking about. Just like anybody listening now knows exactly what the hell I'm talking about. But now a lot of people are invested in pretending like they don't know. Boy, haven't we gotten used to pretending like we don't know things that we really fucking know? <laughs> so now when I say that, you know, oh, what do you mean by that? Hmm? Like, are you a gender or like, oh, a girl's born with a certain, is there a genetic difference in girl hair and boy? No, you fucked hard. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so Brenda is being raised as a girl, meeting with John Money and, um, you know, it's being uh, encouraged. And so there begins to be a problem. Brenda, more and more, is attracted to boy things. Brenda doesn't want to play with dolls. Brenda wants to play with her brother's trucks. Her brother, uh, you know, as they get older together, sees more and more that something's wrong with his sister. He doesn't know his sister was born a boy. His sister is having a hard time. Um, Brenda's getting picked on at school. She doesn't fit in. She kind of wants to hang out with the boys, but she's not one of the boys, so they're kind of ostracizing her. And uh, she's not one of the girls. They're ostracizing her. Brenda doesn't have many friends. Brenda's being pushed into fashions and styles and things that Brenda doesn't want to do. She goes to John Money, and John Money keeps encouraging her. And John Money gets pushier and pushier with his agenda. Keep in mind, ever since at least the 50s, at least for a decade now, John Money has invested his career, his reputation in this idea of nurture over nature. A person is not born with a gender. It's completely taught. This is the experiment of all experiments that fell in his lap. He couldn't have done it if it wasn't for this opportunity. He's waited 10 years for something like this. Completely invested in this proving his theory. So the more Brenda is not going along with this, the more aggressive John Money becomes. He asks her really vulgar questions about, do you know the difference between a boy and a girl? Um, you know, tell me about what's between your legs. Tell me what's about to, between a boy's legs. Uh, you know, just probing questions that make Brenda really uncomfortable, increasingly uncomfortable. 
At a certain point, John Coffey begins to advise... John Money. John Money. Oh, man, that was flashing through my head before I was avoiding it. I keep wanting to say John Coffey. Isn't he from, like, the Green Mile? Yeah, the Green Mile. (laughs) It was not John Coffey. John Coffey could have healed this girl. John Money healed no one. He actually fucked up an entire culture. So John Money begins to encourage her to get a operation. Here, Brenda is really getting resistant. Even as unhappy as he is, he being raised as a she, he recognizes, I have a pretty healthy body. I don't feel sick. It's just I, I'm having a hard time. Something's not lining up. Something's not fitting in. And it was because, in case you're confused, any of you out there, he was born a boy. <laughs> So Brenda increasingly resists this increasing push to get surgery. John Money all even brings in a transsexual man who has had the surgery to try to encourage Brenda. All this is horrifying to Brenda. And all this, by the way, is on record from John Money's own records, his own notes. Now, according to the twins, both twins, because sometimes the brother would be brought in, what wasn't recorded in John Money's records, because John Money is trying to make a case, and he's willing to do pretty much anything to prove his theory, including things he knows he can't publish and share with the public because they are unethical. They are deceitful, and they're disgusting. He has the brother and sister take off their clothes. They don't want to. This is according to the twins. They both say that he shouted at them, take off your clothes now. He got verbally abusive with them until, frightened, they both got naked. Then he had them look and look at each other's genitals, touch each other's genitals, and get in positions of dominance and submission, sexual positions with each other. So John Money's all doing this in the name of science. And again, don't we see the same goddamn unethical, monstru- monstrous, perverted behavior that we saw with Kinsey? Kinsey opened the floodgates of this his ideas of sex immediately followed by John Money, who also doesn't give a damn about pure science, who will lie, who will omit information, and who will abuse children. What is it about specifically child abuse that seems to be so tied up in the origins of our current ideas of sex and gender? It's like they're trying desperately to show that this is not a... um a perversion or something that is unnatural. It's, it comes from the most purest form, the child. And consistently what we're seeing is the child, the one in question, the one actually in the experiments, is horrified, is traumatized, hates this. But we're not listening to the child. Did what it, does a child know? We're listening to the fucking scientist. Didn't Money also take pictures of the brothers' uh, naked bodies and in the different sexual positions that he made them get into and send them to the Kinsey Institute? Yes, he did. And as Teresa just said, they wind up in the Kinsey Institute, which sounds like it's like the Fort Knox of child porn. They've got all of the stuff that they know that uh, they don't want released to the public that Kinsey did, took pictures of. Like we said, he started the porn industry. Now they've also got the stuff John Money recorded, pictures he took, locked away in the Kinsey Institute. Nobody can see them. Nobody can judge for themselves whether this is ethical behavior, whether this is actual science, because they have said they will destroy the evidence 
if they are anyone tries to force them to show this stuff. Now, one of my questions, and I don't think I've talked with you about this, Teresa, but isn't there some kind of legal uh, thing? Like, you can't do that? Like, you will be arrested for? <laughs> but I guess here's the question. How would they know? Well, that's the thing, because they said if any sort of legal action comes against the Kinsey Institute, they will destroy the files. So how can you prove it when you, A, don't know what's in there, and then, B, once you get into Fort Knox, there's nothing there because they've destroyed it? I'm just astounded that doctors and scientists that are part of something as a as formalized, that can, it can be called an institute, um, can even say that publicly and not have some kind of legal, legal repercussion. That just surprises me. They're just above the law. That's all. They are. They're above the law. I mean, as much as I thought I knew how fucked up society was, I keep finding another basement, another subfloor, another strata of like, my God, I thought society was so bad that I wanted to do a podcast called Escaping Society and work on survival skills and drop out of it. And since then, since the beginning of this, I have learned so much more about how corrupt society is. It's horrifying. But anyway, back to the story. It gets so bad for Brenda that Brenda finally tells his parents, um, if you send me back to Dr. Money, I'm going to kill myself. I, I can't do that anymore. And, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, I don't know, mental illness, suicide attempts mixed up with kind of gender identity now. But keep in mind, we're talking about a girl who's being abused, verbally abused, who's being, pictures are taken, child porn. I mean, it's fucking sick. I think this is a very legitimate, I don't think think this speaks to Brenda's mental state so much as the desperate situation she was in. That's how desperately she wanted to convey, I will not do this anymore. I will not submit to this. This man is a pervert. He's a monster. The parents, now, they've been raising this person who's not taking on the gender role of a girl, and... um. I saw the mother interviewed on a talk show, and she said she was overcome with guilt, and she just was so invested in believing this was possible, even though it was clear that it was not working, because she didn't want to face what she had done. It's like, ever since my child was two years old, I have put him in the situation where he's suffering. It needs to turn into something good. It needs to work. Otherwise, I have been a party to abusing my child, whom I love. And, you know, that kind of broke my heart because I can understand that situation, you know? I mean, what a fucked up situation for a mother to land in. So she's not seeing John Money anymore. The parents decide that what they need to do to try to clear the situation up is to tell both children, both of the twins, that Brenda was born a boy, Bruce. The father takes Brenda out, gets some ice cream, which uh, already the children had recognized when dad gets us ice cream, he's going to give us some kind of bad news. Mm. The mother tells her brother, his brother, Brian. When the mother tells Brian that his what he thought was his sister had been born a boy, Brian flips the fuck out. He uh, lashes out. He breaks a window. Um, this was devastating news for Brian. I'm trying to put myself in Brian's place as I'm hearing the story. You're already 
going to this doctor that's had you get naked in front of your sister and get in sexual positions with your sister, that's got to be pretty fucked up already, like this dirty little secret. But at least there's a certain, all right, boys and girls get in these positions. I know that brothers and sisters don't do this, but already this has got to be weighing on him, you know? And now to be told back in the 60s, you know, when there was still such a taboo, especially against homosexuality. So he's dealing with, as Kinsey rightly described, there is a a social uh, taboo against this. But even aside from that, before the taboo, that was only gasoline on an existing fire. That must have crushed him. Now he's got to wonder, what the fuck am I? What have I done? What have I been involved in? What are these memories I'm stuck with that I'm carrying now due to this good doctor, this scientist, this father of our modern idea of gender? Meanwhile, did you want to say something? I just, I also was like really feeling bad for Brian because, I mean, at this point, the kids have... um, They've become teenagers, both of, you know, they're, te- they're twins. And for a boy to be dealing with things that, you know, he thinks it's his sister, okay, it might be weird and gross to think about, but like, okay, you know, it's your sister. But then to realize it's actually your brother. That's what I say. I know, I know, but I'm just like, oh my God, like poor Brenda, but also poor Brian. Yeah, that's why I was focusing so much on Brian getting the news. As far as I know, Brenda received the news, and it's almost like kind of a confirmation, (laughs) like, well, this makes sense. No sooner does Brenda get the news than Brenda changes his name again and decides to live the rest of his life as a male, as he was born. Um, Brian is the one who the news seemed to really destroy. The twins drifted apart. Brian didn't know how to interact with his now new brother. I mean, it was just too many too many uh, flip-flops for him. He began to exhibit schizophrenic behavior. I mean, he was really mentally devastated. The children grew up. Um, Brenda, who changed her his name to David. Whew, this is hard to talk about. Like I said, the whole thing is so, I think, intentionally confusing. Um, these ideas of gender and everything. So, David got surgery to um, now have a facsimile of a penis, basically. Um, Still couldn't have babies, but against the odds, David began to live a fairly normal life, got a job that he liked, uh, even married, and um, adopted his wife's kids, um, was raising kids. Things were going remarkably well for David, considering what he's been through. I'm not saying it was, you know... All easy form or anything. Brian was getting uh, more and more uh, using drugs to try to get through his day, uh, to try to cope. Um, at one point, they see, I think somewhere on the news, maybe on television, but somewhere they see John Money promoted as a esteemed scientist, and his ideas really applauded, and they're like, my God, this is the man who abused us. This man is a pervert. He's a fucking monster. We can't let him get away with what he did to us, because John Money published papers as if he had proved that gender was a social construct divorced from the biological reality, when in fact his experiment, these ideas that we now carry as given is based on a failed experiment. 
What the experiment ended up suggesting was the exact opposite. The gender, even when they tried to teach it out of Brenda, still was coupled with his biological reality as a male. The doctor, Dr. Money, ignored the results of his experiment. Again, fuck science. There was an agenda here that science was just used as a pretty packaging. Oh, this is science. It's not science. It's propaganda. So they ended up putting together a video of the twins to let everybody know what had actually happened. This was kind of the coming out of all this bad crap that John Money had done to them. Um, unfortunately, the culture at large, you know, it's filed away that people know about the twins and what happened to them, but we still accept John Money's ideas as if they were proven by a legitimate scientist. Yeah, how does that happen? How can we see children nowadays who were born boys, for example, and now whatever this thing is where boys and girls think they're born in the wrong body, I still don't understand that. But if you are a boy and let's say, you know, your parents, maybe one in particular, is really excited about exploring the idea that, you know, Maybe you might be a girl. Maybe you liked those pretty sparkly jewelries that mom had, and, and that means that you're a girl now, right? So we should raise you as a girl and maybe cut your dick off, you know, just to, like, make sure everything's in, you know, in order. This was disproven. This, there, there is no evidence that that works. And I'd like to, uh, at this point in the story, direct you to another author I think is really informative on this subject, Charles Murray. I've read one of his books, and it was, uh, God, I can't remember the name of it, but it had to do with our views on race and gender and things of this nature. And um, not many doctors or scientists will speak up against this because you risk um, losing your license, um, being mobbed, being called a transphobe, a homophobe, a hate monger for speaking the truth. Charles Murray is one of those, that small group of people that's like, this is a lie? And I'm going to explain to you why it's a lie. And his book is full of information that debunks all this crap that we're being taught in schools and colleges as given fact, as established fact about gender and sex. But one of the things he, uh, he mentions in the book that stuck with me is he says, let's look at cultures. There are cultures that are, um, gender is much more strongly imposed um, some cultures in the Middle East, for instance, it's much harder for a woman to do things that a man traditionally does and vice versa. Culture is very, uh, strict in these cultures. There are other cultures that you might consider the most liberal where gender is, um, really not an issue. Girls aren't raised to play with dolls or to, uh, want to pursue girly things. Um, Iceland is an example. What he finds in the studies is that even when the culture doesn't impose gender roles, that hugely what you see is that people born as women will gravitate towards certain roles, certain jobs, because they want those things. It's not just nurture. It is nature. Same with men. For instance, women will tend to choose jobs that involve dealing with people, whereas men prefer jobs dealing with things. This happens in Iceland as well, a, cu a culture that there's no pressure for this to happen. People are just born men and women, and it does affect their behavior. There is a nature to 
this. And nobody's saying that nurture has no effect, that it's all nature. There's a balance. We're in a culture that completely ignores nature and pretends like it's all nurture. <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a culture that completely ignores balance. And um, did I you want just, to say anything yeah, else? Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to add something to that because um, you had an ex-girlfriend who uh, I guess she does a lot of work as in jobs that are like kind of engineering or elect electrical or something of that nature mechanical yeah typically male type of jobs yeah but she loves it and she's done that for quite a long time and she also is a mother right mm -hmm. she's a mother she's married she's definitely a woman and has no problem being a woman yeah but she completely you know how she handled uh gender dysphoria she said, I'm just going to do what I want to do. It doesn't make me a boy. Bam. Yeah. Bam. There you go. Done. There's Done. your answer. You don't need surgery. Yeah. She often finds herself in groups with uh, men, probably has to put up with some dirty jokes. Some, uh, I know she's told me some stories about uh, guys, you know, farting a lot more outwardly than women tend to do. Stuff she might not <laughs> tend to want to put up with, but, you know, she just sucks it up. Like, life isn't supposed to be easy. Like, there's challenges. Any road has challenges. That is how a person handles gender. It's... Uh, Anyway, let me get back to the story because I'm going to finish it up here. Unfortunately, these twins came both came to a sad ending. Brian, the uh, brother who was raised as a boy the whole time, um, ended up overdosing on drugs, killed himself. Um, not long after that, a series of bad luck befell David. Um, I think his wife said that she was going to leave him. We're not sure 100%. You know, yeah, what his the wife said there was were. a separation. His wife yeah. said, I'm not going to divorce you, but I think we need a separation. He made a bad investment, lost a lot of money. Just the, the kind of stuff most of us have been through at one time or another where it's like everything lines up like shit. What a run of bad luck. I can't, I can't catch a break. So David went to a grocery store parking lot with a shotgun and blew his brains out. There's your experiment, the first experiment on children uh, gender, like on, on assigning a different gender than you were born with. This is the experiment that leads directly to our current ideas of gender, of children, the idea of be them being born in the wrong body, of uh, surgical correction. It was based on a failed experiment in which both children thought the doctor performing these experiments was a pervert and an evil man, and they both committed suicide. These two people I'm talking about, Kinsey and Money, you may think, oh, they just cherry-picked a couple scientists with bad stories. No, even the movement itself will credit these two men with originating these ideas. And it's fascinating. I invite you not just to look at the videos that I uh, said I have on my Facebook page. Try to find the other side. Keeping in mind, like, all this information I'm giving you is true. Go ahead and try to debunk it. But watch the way they tell the story on the other side. Watch the things they gloss over completely. I've seen videos where they're holding up Kinsey as a hero. And don't mention pedophilia. Thousands of children. Unimportant. It's disgusting. It's fucking insane. If you want to talk about a sin of omission, these are two cases that are definitely that should be looked at. And then, like I keep saying, ponder what the hell we're doing now. 
And Teresa, unless I've forgotten something that you want to fill in with that story, I think that kind of wraps up the uh, main story that I know about John Money, but I know you had some other information, so I'm going to pass the talk and stick over to you and uh, take it in any direction you want. Let's see what we get talking about. Well, I was just, I mean, I was just thinking about how money fits in with the current uh, transgender stuff. Because it's interesting, some of the things that you said, in the way you said it, it's like, huh. So we're talking about people's gender identities or gender not aligning with their sex. And the conclusion that people have come to in this day and age is that if your gender identity doesn't align with your sex then you should just change your sex, even though you can't really do that, but you can mimic it, and then everything will be okay. And they say gender is a social construct. You know what a social construct is? It is in your head. Social means that it's in the head of a lot of the people in that society, but it's still in a field of mind. Biological reality is something that no matter what culture you come from, it is a reality. For instance, you're born with a penis. Every person on the planet will recognize that person as a man. Not every person will recognize the social construct. So how the fuck are we justifying surgery for to affirm a social construct? It's like if somebody thinks they're Napoleon, that that is the justification <laughs> for them getting plastic surgery to look like Napoleon and getting part of their shins cut off so they'll be short like Napoleon. It's <laughs> fucking mad scientist bullshit. How did this ever get – I mean, again, that you know, like you said, Teresa, and like I've been saying, Kinsey, how the hell did these ideas catch on? Rockefeller Institute, part of the answer. Uh Unfounded faith in science, part of the answer. Now how the hell did money's ideas catch on? On a failed experiment. I can only assume that they've got powerful propagandists. You know, it, it all goes back to Bernays for me. How the fuck do people put thoughts in our heads? They know how to do it. They know how to do it. It goes back to this kind of social engineering backed by powerful people. And I know there's some missing parts in that puzzle, but to God, just looking around, how the hell does our culture get to accept such insane beliefs? We were watching a doctor um, describe uh, gender medicine and how we got here. One gender medicine. What gender the hell medicine. is gender medicine? And that was part of his premise. What the hell is gender medicine? And one of the things he said that uh, really stuck with me was that we had a therapy to deal with people experiencing this that for the vast majority of people worked when they got done with this therapy they didn't want a sex change they had found some peace with themselves that therapy just got swept off the table in favor oh, of right. surgery yeah because because it was labeled um conversion therapy and it was put i think in the same boat as like Christian-y summer camps where you would send your boy if you thought that he was gay to get the Satan expelled from him. But it wasn't that. It was a therapist who was going, as this guy said, into the deepest, darkest, lowest levels of the person's mind through a therapeutic process. 
and uncovered the seed of like what was causing their confusion. And once the, the willing and, uh, I guess, uh, distraught patient was given a little, shed a little bit of light on their own situation. They actually turned inward, looked at their shit and figured it out with the help of this therapist. They began to go on the path of understanding and I don't want to say curing, but getting better without surgery. Yeah. No one is born in the wrong body, y'all. It amazes me that uh, so many of the people that will describe themselves as atheists that condemn religion and Christianity will promote an idea that people are born in the wrong body. What is born in the wrong body? A soul? That seems kind of religious. People that say follow the science. Uh, Where's the scientific proof of the soul, of this thing that was born in the wrong body? I've heard um, it's the brain. There are female and male brains, and that's what's meant by born in the wrong body. For one thing, we are not, our brains are not little alien creatures riding around in body suits. We are our bodies and our minds and much more. We are the trees around us. We're the environment. We're the water around us. We're not a little parasitic brain running around that got put in the wrong meat suit. It's fucking absurd. Um, <laughs> God, it's... What else have you got, Teresa? Well, let's just think about this again, too. So if we're not okay with children um, being operated on, healthy children, I'm not talking about other medical reasons why children would have to undergo surgeries on their genitalia or um, have to take hormone therapies, excluding that. Perfectly healthy children except that there's something going on where the child thinks they were born in the wrong body or that they are the wrong sex somehow. By the way, not many children get the idea in their own head that they were born in the wrong body. What more often than not happens is a child will not fit in. It's funny because it's the transgender parents and the people involved in the transgender movement who insist that we live in a culture with such strict, oppressive gender roles that they can't break out of. But they're the ones who reinforce the gender roles. So in other words, if I have a son, the son I catch trying on his sister's dress one day. And then, you know, like he, I, I see that there's a doll in his room and he seems to like playing with a doll. The son is just following his interests. The son might never feel like I want to be a girl, just like, wow, the girls have some pretty and cool things that I'm interested in. It is me, the parent, who has a very strict, oppressive idea of gender roles. And so when they break out of it, I'm the one that comes to the conclusion they must be a girl in the wrong body. A lot of gay people, more gay people are waking up and opposing this. And um, one of the things, the the beefs they have with this whole John Money gender bullshit is they say this unfairly especially targets gay people. Now, I just expressed some concerns in part one about the over-sexualization of all of us, including gay people. But 
I do believe in consenting adults having the right to explore their life however they want. You will never hear me. I'm just voicing opinions. You'll never see me try to stop anyone, even a, a transgender person, from getting surgery, which I think is just horribly destructive. I will try to stop child abuse. I think that's our job as adults, as elders, to protect children, all children. Now, these children that might be, you know, the, the son that I mentioned, playing with a doll, wearing a dress, that might in fact be a child that grows up to be a gay man. Never wanted to be a woman. Never wanted to be a woman. Might be a gay man. Might even decide that this gay man wants to have a child. But if he's groomed to think, oh, well, maybe my problem is that I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body, now he's going to be sterilized. No transgender people have children. When you have the surgery, you are sterilized. He's going to have mutilating surgery. Some of these same people that promote this will look at a culture that performs clitoridectomies and condemn that culture for that. Gender mutilation. We're talking about something way beyond a clitoridectomy. I mean, yeah, genitalia. Yeah. Genitalia. Yeah, we're gen genital mutilation, way beyond a clitoridectomy. Mm. So... These people will not have uh, the same level of sexual arousal as they could have with a healthy body. They will um, have to take drugs that do have a deleterious effect on their bodies. And just the uh, how much it fucks them up, the suicide rates of people who have had the surgery after the surgery, because they were taught, this is your answer. This is when you can be happy. They get the surgery, they're worse off than before. Many of these people are killing themselves. This doesn't get talked about. All we hear about is the suicide rates in the transgender community. They don't mention it's the suicide rates of the people after surgery. And so we're led to believe through just omitted facts, a certain slant on the facts, that it's our culture not accepting them that's causing these poor people to kill themselves. If you try to say anything in defense of these children, leave these fucking children alone. Quit sexualizing the children. Quit performing unnecessary surgery on their healthy bodies. You know what they say? Our children have a right to exist. You're trying to deny my child's right to exist. Does that make sense to you? If, I can't think of an analogy off the top of my head. You'll have to do that one on your own, listeners. But nobody is denying anyone's right to exist. What a fucking ridiculous straw man fallacy. There are no people out there that are just saying, unless it's the leftist nihilists themselves, they're saying you should not exist. It's that you do not need to perform this kind of surgery on a child. And, Teresa, I know you got a crap load of notes there, so. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to look at my notes, but something that occurred to me was there was a, um, a social phenomenon that happened, I believe, in the 90s, because I lived through this a little bit, um, where a lot of, especially high school age teenage girls, were becoming anorexic. And all of a sudden, it was like more and more and more young women were having this happen. What if back then, parents were saying, yes, you are too fat. In fact, we should actually get you in to have some of that fat removed, like liposuction, because you say you're too fat and... I have to validate that. So let's get you in for surgery. 
Maybe we could even put you on some sort of medication to like help you stop eating so much because God, I mean, really, we have to validate this. And of course, you know, you'll have people argue with you no matter what, because they, I think some people are just absolutely invested in this very strange phenomenon. And it's so bizarre to watch an entire culture decide that the way to deal with a mental illness is to validate it, as you just talked about, the mental illness of an eating disorder. It, in so many other ways, our approach to someone with a mental illness is to try to help them. Where did this validation come from? It's clear when a man says, I'm a woman, and exhibits all the biological signs of a man that this man is suffering a delusion. We're not talking about gender here. Gender would be a man who wants to live as a woman. Remember, it's a social construct. We're talking about a behavior, a man who wants to live as a woman. Now, for all of our actions, how we portray ourselves in the world, there will be consequences. If you do something that's abnormal in a society, you're going to be treated abnormally. That doesn't justify people abusing you or discriminating against you. Um, but you will be treated differently. It's just a fact. I've been the oddball in so many ways my entire life. Me too. There are consequences for that. There just are. So you, you always know if you, go, if you deviate from the norm, you're going out on a limb. What happened in our culture that someone could go so far out on a limb to claim they're something that we all know they're not? We all know it. And that if you say and call them out on it and say, look, I really want to help you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to discriminate against you, but you're a man, that that person is villainized. What the fuck happened? Even now, you know, like I'm recording this. There's going to be pushback. We're not saying anything that's not clearly factual. 20 years ago, we could have said this. No problem. Now, I mean, there's plenty of places where this could be heard, and it would be a big problem because we are challenging mentally ill people. I took a, a quiz, an online quiz the other day to see if I had gender dysphoria. I can't remember the website. It was something like Eye on Pride or something about pride.org. And um, it wasn't a very long survey, but it struck me that the questions that were being asked to, to reveal if I, in fact, did have gender dysphoria, which I think is kind of interesting in the first place. Like, why would I need to take a quiz? But all right, let's play along. A lot of the uh, questions were geared towards if I ever wore the clothes of the opposite gender, whether it was in private or in public. Um, and if I got angry or upset when a, a form asked me what my gender was. Actually, I get upset all the time. Quite frequently, I answered, because it's not my gender that you're looking for. It's my sex. You want to know if I'm male or female. That's, that's what the question is, but it says gender. So, I, yes, I do get upset. Opposite gender clothing. All right, I'll play along. The social construct is men wear pants women wear dresses, men wear dark colors, women wear light colors like pink. Well, shit, I'm wearing pants today. I guess I'm cross-dressing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing it in public. So that got me like, you know, nine extra points. 
And the first time I took the quiz, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have gender dysphoria. But the second time I was like moderate because I understood the questions a little better. It wasn't that I was trying to have gender dysphoria, but I was like, oh, all right, all right. I'll pretend like what they're talking about, like gender isn't what I think gender is. It's what they think gender is. It was all very confusing. And you know, a uh, questionnaire like that is all about validation as well. If you want to find out you have gender dysphoria, you will be validated by that questionnaire. If you don't want it, you will answer the questions in a certain way where, you know, hopefully it'll say you don't. Oh, I want to. I do want to say something from my notes and get a reaction from you. All right. Well, let me just. Uh, okay. You know, one of the things I, I notice about this is it's just lies upon lies upon lies. Kinsey was a fucking liar, like even unusual among scientists. Just lies to get his sexual revolution started, followed on the heels by uh, John Money, who lied, who called a failure of expe- an experiment a success. And here we are, so caught up in lies. That men are competing in women's sports, we all pretend like, wow, like, hmm, I, you know, just don't see a problem there. We we lie to not hurt people's feelings who are lying to us. It's the old saying, oh, what tangled webs we weave. We are caught in a web. We are in this trap of the mind that is deceit. It's lies. We have veered so far away from the truth that people are calling hatred, butchering children's bodies, love. We're calling hate love. It's the, it's, you know, another, I talked about with uh, Kinsey, the leftist tactics that I saw in Kinsey, that reversal, everything is upside down. And people sometimes wonder, why do you target the left so much? You're not being fair. I challenged Teresa one time. I said, tell me something the right is doing that you think is in the same neighborhood as what the left is doing as far as uh, abhorrent behavior, monstrosity. And Teresa was like, well, you know, she mentioned some capitalist stuff. I'm like, what, the left isn't doing that? Limousine liberals? You think uh, fucking uh, Biden is just a regular old regular old Joe? <laughs> you know, and then she talks about the environment. And I'm like, we've already studied the green energy movement. You think that's better for the environment? So the Republicans are worse about that than the Democrats? I'm like, tell me where the... Uh, Right-wing people are specifically abusing children and getting guys to cut their dicks off. There's just no comparison. So if I target the left, the left is the fucking bottom of the toilet. It doesn't mean that they're the only ones, like everybody else is good and they're the bad guys. It means, holy shit, did we get competitive? (laughs) So anyway, what you got, Teresa? Um, I did write this down, and I I just thought it was... uh really interesting again, because I know there's so many arguments and I wish I could just consolidate them all, but I have a feeling that, um, if you're on social media, you probably haven't, you have an awareness of some of the arguments, but this is, uh, in response to like whether or not this is a social phenomenon. This is from a Reuters article from October 6th, 2022. Uh, It talks about Komodo Health, Inc., doing a survey of um, new diagnoses of gender dysphoria in patients age 6 to 17 years of age. And this is just in the United States. So 
It has numbers from 2017 through 2021, but I'll just focus on 2000. Well, I'll go ahead and run through them. 2017, number of diagnoses of gender dysphoria in patients ages 6 to 17, just over 15,000. In 2018, just over 18,000. So we've gone up 3,000. That's pretty significant, but all right. 2019, 21,375. Another 3,000 added to the pot. 2020, 24,000. Hey, another 3,000. Wow, this is pretty consistent. 2021, 42,167 new cases of gender dysphoria. And before you say anything, gender dysphoria is defined nicely for us as distress caused by a discrepancy between a person's gender identity and the one assigned to them at birth. I would be confused too, I think. Okay, Gumby. Yeah, another way to picture that is one in four children think they have gender dysphoria now. And another thing that has changed is it used to be mostly men. Now it's mostly women. Remember what I said about the gender uh, being kind of attached to your biological sex and that women tend to gravitate towards social things? Men tend to gravitate towards uh, things, you know, like mechanics, stuff like that, generally. You know, it's not a trap. It doesn't mean you have to. It just means that's the general trend. It's a social contagion. A lot of doctors are looking into what this ha this is. Let's look at this like a social contagion. It's the virus of the mind, like Wetico. Um, women are influencing each other. Women, possibly more than men, generally, will be empathetic to the people around them, will want to fit in, especially with a group that they have been taught is oppressed, an underdog, needs support. They will influence each other. Um, women will have experience a stronger peer pressure. A guy can kind of be like a lone wolf, and that can kind of be a cool thing. Women, it's harder for them to be a lone wolf. They will more be looked at like a, I don't know, a loser, a freak. There's more social pressures generally, generally on women. So it's thought this gender dysphoria, this actually is seen as part of the social contagion, not that more women for some reason are being born in the wrong body, which nobody can tell me what that means. Nobody knows. Even if you believe in gender dysphoria and gender identity and all this shit, I invite you just for a practice, just to see if you can think critically, engage with leftists about the issue, ask questions, try to challenge them. What will happen is they will start spouting nonsense and they will shut down. They will leave. They cannot engage in a rational discussion. I had one person that was engaging in a discussion with me and actually did something that leftists almost never do. They let me lead with some questions. They let me just ask them as simplified questions as I could. Is there a difference between gender uh, and sex? Is sex biological reality, gender, social construct, etc.? The questions led them to a conclusion that they immediately accused me of uh, being abusive being an asshole. I mean, they just flew off the handle. It challenged their reality, which is not based in reality, which is not based in rational reality. And that's an unusual occurrence. Most of the time, a leftist will get nowhere near that. Um, 
I just invite you to give it a try. See for yourself. Don't just think I'm sitting here, you know, and turning off my Fox News before I, like, vote for Trump. And that's what I say about him. <laughs> Go test it. You guys are always saying follow the science and you're so damn smart and been to college and learned all this crap. Put it to a scientific test. But give it a real try. Forget you're a leftist for a minute. Actually ask questions as if you were an educated right-wing person, conservative, <laughs> somebody who's not a leftist. Um, and if you don't know how to do that, well, that kind of tells you something, doesn't it? Maybe you need to learn about what the other side is actually saying that you've been opposing. Maybe they're not after your kids. Maybe it's your side that's after the kids, and the other side might be actually be trying to fucking protect your kids from the craziness that you're going along with. But you got anything else you want to share, Teresa? I mean, this has just been so much covered by a lot of people. And uh, I think I just, if there's anybody out there that hasn't heard this stuff or that isn't aware or maybe is, maybe you just got really mad at something that Gumby or I said, or maybe you heard something that one of us said and you want to challenge it, please write in. Um, we would love to engage in a dialogue with our listeners because I just think it's, uh, I think it's important. I think it's healthy. And, um, I would really, I, I told Gumby, I want to understand where the folks, uh, that are in the camp about like born in the wrong body and stuff are coming from. I just can't figure it out and I don't want to admit it, but I'm, really starting to think that there is nothing to figure out. It, do, it doesn't make sense. That's what I keep telling Teresa. I've been engaging them for a long time, and there is nothing to figure out. They, It's just confusion. It's spinning, spinning, spinning. Um, for instance, I just remembered another tactic in the argument, and this is so typical. Depending on what uh, the uh, how the argument goes, they'll say, well, you're saying all these kids are getting butchered. Do you know how very few transgender people there are? Like, oh, nobody's getting the surgery. What are you talking about? That hardly ever happens. Yeah. Oh, so there's hardly any of this transgender stuff happening. All right, then why the hell are we changing our entire culture, all of our sports, uh, what's taught in schools for this tiny little segment of people that apparently have this mental illness called gender dis... Oh, because it's so uh, important. Like, kids, you know, like... Then suddenly everybody's transgender. Then suddenly there's this whole spectrum of gender and everything. It's just dancing back and forth, one foot over f from the other. Um, it is exhausting. And it is intentionally confusing. So I guess we'll wind it up there. This is going to come out tomorrow on my birthday. So happy birthday to me. All love is good love on my birthday. Mm. Wee. Um, we I, have, I, I think I'm not hundred percent sure you want to get into this, but I don't want to tell it to you later. And then you're like, Durr! did you want to mention anything about Kinsey and sex ed? I thought that that was something you mentioned. And then, uh, I'm not sure if we actually got to that. Yeah, this might be repetitive. I don't remember if we said it either, but, uh, another influence that Kinsey had was on sexual education being taught in schools. Now, I have no problem with uh, kids learning about sex, but it used to happen organically. It used to happen because you were around actual life. You would see your pets, uh, the, the animals on the farm having sex. You would ask questions. Your parents would help you understand it. The problem I have with institutional sex ed is the state then controls 
when your kids are taught, what they're taught. I remember when I got taught sex ed, it was bullshit. It was useless. Um, and now that we have these ideas of gender and everything, your kids, no matter what you think should be taught, they're taught it. Even if you agree with it, why would you hand that kind of control over what your kids are taught to uh, the state, the institutions? So that's one more thing we can thank Kinsey for, the father of sexual education, mm -hmm. the way he perceives it, the pedophile, the pervert. We have a listener right in, followed on that uh, rant about perverts. <laughs> not related. Not, that, not that this person is a pervert. Uh, we have Kristen from Florida. And, Teresa, this is mainly directed to you, so listen up. Okay. Hi, guys. Writing in after listening to Mile Marker 126. Teresa, you were wondering if people viewed superfluous speech as feminine. I believe it's something that is just viewed through a cultural lens and has no real basis in human nature. Plenty of men throughout written history had too much to say, while Mother Culture tells me that talking too much is indeed a feminine trait and a host of personal examples come to mind. I have to think about all the male politicians campaigning right now. They seem manly enough to me, and yet those guys talk about nothing and can't shut up about it. It lays mother culture's words to rest. Overall, there needs to be a balance in the population between the talkers and the listeners, and perhaps it's that this has moved out of balance in the age of overcommunication, where men are no less subject to its influence than women. I think there are other factors causing an increasing femininity in men, but not this. Thanks for all you guys do. Hey, Kristen, thank you. Um, yeah, that my incoherent thought during that mile marker was probably best left unsaid. The superfluous speech got to me, damn it. <laughs> um, I, I do agree that uh, maybe saying it's like men and women probably it was too generalized. Um, I think that women, if you're, if you're even going to use, or if I am even going to use like masculine, feminine, male, female, men and women, um, generally speaking, I think women use communication and talk more to bond than men do. But yeah, maybe that was just really too much, uh, sloppiness in asking that question. But I do agree that there is something going on regardless of sex or gender. Um, <laughs> and I think there is something that is creating more talk and less listening and that imbalance of less silence or less listening and more talking leads to less understanding which then creates more talking, which then creates less understanding. So it is this really vicious cycle that, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you writing in. Thank you. And uh, now I'm going to shut up. <laughs> well, I do believe that generally, traditionally, uh, women do talk more. I'm thinking like traditionally um, – men would go out to hunt. They are invested in quiet, you know, like a hunting. You don't want to be talking. Whereas women traditionally for so much of our evolution would tend to be gathered around doing communal projects together, um, processing acorns, for instance, in which it passes the time really well to talk. I think this was a strength in a healthy community. Women 
talking more. They were sort of the ambassadors often between when there's a dispute. Gossip wasn't always a bad thing. I think the talkative women would help spread news, kind of find diplomatic ways of uh, kind of buffering the men from each other. So I do believe that uh, women have a tendency to want to bond more through talk. Men will have a tendency less to bond more. I think your analogy of a politician is a bad example um, because politics is its own thing. That's not men trying to be men and women trying to be women. Politics is part of the art of talking. So anyone who engages in politics will have to engage in a lot of talking. You're not just going to get up and get votes by being stoic. Um, it's sort of like saying, how can you say Southerners talk slow and pointing at the uh, the person that's uh, running the auction and like, listen, that guy, he's from the South. I can't even hear him. He's talking so fast. He's invested in talking fast. When he's not doing the job, he might, in fact, not want to, you know, might be a slow talker. So um, the part that I find the most interesting in what you say is the communication, as Teresa was talking about. I agree with you. I think there's a lot of talking and not a lot of listening. And um, that is interesting. I wonder where that comes from. I think a lot of it's got to do with technology that uh, we're all just kind of waiting in line to promote our viewpoints, to promote our opinions. And um, we've already decided what we think, what we believe. So we're not really interested in listening to other people. The only people we want to listen to are the people that are saying the things we already want to say and validate our opinions. But I do think there's a lot more to be said about how we've gotten to be a culture so much that talks, like what happened to the listening part of it? Um, you, you mentioned mother culture, which I know is a reference to Daniel Quinn which gets me thinking about, uh, you know, our relationship with nature and how much if you're going to really have a close relationship with nature, you need to be a good listener. You need to listen to the tracks. You need to listen to the animals. You need to listen to the weather. And so I wonder if this is just the slowly unfolding story of mother culture where our listening skills are getting worse and worse, the Tower of Babel, that uh, we can't even listen to each other anymore. And that was really the last line. Now we listen to nothing. Maybe we don't even listen to ourselves, which could be linked to this gender dysphoria we're talking about. Um, anything else you want to add to that, Teresa, or are you done? No, I just really wanted to thank you for trying to tackle that. And uh, i got to watch when I ask questions to make sure that they're not uh, convoluted. That one was, whew, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to record. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I speak much better when I'm not being recorded. Um, I always get caught up in my words in a way that when we're just sitting around the campfire, Teresa and I, and we're getting excited about ideas, I don't feel that. There's something about leaning into this thing that feels very arbitrary. So, yeah, it's a challenge. Technology. Technology. Um, and I did want to point out that uh, What is a Woman, the documentary by Matt Walsh, that was what we watched that got us digging, re-digging into uh, learning about Kinsey and money so once again, I want to uh, promote that documentary. Um, we talked about it at length last episode, so I won't go into a bunch of things, what we think about it. But yeah, that got us following this rabbit down the hole. If you have any questions or comments, as Teresa said, please uh, write into uh, our, you can contact us through our website, www.escapingsociety.weebly, B as in um, Brenda.com. <laughs> Uh, we have a Facebook page. Actually, we're not doing much on the Facebook page anymore, but uh, feel free to visit us on our own Facebook pages. Peek in on what we're doing, even if you don't want to friend us. Um, 
I don't have any privacy settings. We've got a YouTube channel. It's grossly neglected, but you may find some things interesting there. We have a donate button. If you have been challenged, learned anything new, or been entertained, please consider giving us a donation. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you later. So why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it because we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.